Welcome to Medical Experts in Football. I'm Tyro, your host. Sit back and hear how one Australian physical therapist balances three different jobs. He's a clinic director, PT for the Australian Women's Soccer League, and he's a semi-professional athlete. I mean, come on, guys. But before we talk sports and medicine, let's learn some history about the blunt Australians. I have the pleasure to welcome you, Mitchell Stamatellis. How are you? How is the weather in Australia? Because it's getting warmer in the States, but it's actually getting cooler there, right? Yeah, it is. It's actually, it's not been too bad, but um, it's it's just started raining today, but it's a little sun shower. So the sun's still out, but there's a little bit of like light drizzle. It's not too bad, um, but it is getting a little bit, a little bit cooler, but our cold is like maybe 15, 20 degrees. So, it's, so you it's can not... wear like a light sweater. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. I heard that Australians have a unique sense of humor and at times can be dark. How would you describe an Australian's humor? Probably very, uh, very crude at times, maybe sometimes blunt. Uh, but yeah, we've got a few, we've got a few sayings that probably don't make sense. Can you uh, tell me? Some other people. Like, I guess a, a common one is uh, like put a shrimp on the barbie or stick a fork in it, I'm done. Say you're tired, you've, you've just, you know, done a fitness session, uh, you might go stick a fork in me, I'm done. Um, okay. but that's I've heard that one, talking. though. That's not terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a couple like that. But with modern technology and travel and everything like that, I guess the, the world is getting to know Australians a little bit more. We're not so isolated anymore. So not at those all. Sayings, yeah, those sayings are a little bit more common now. Why do you think Australians can be so blunt? I don't know. I, I, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, we just get to the point. We don't really, you know, fart us around, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I like that because I'm a very blunt person, so I'd yeah. be able to hang with you guys. Well, if one is to travel to Australia, what is one animal they should see? I do like koalas. I think koalas are pretty, pretty cute. Um, they, they've got some serious claws on them, but they're, they're generally pretty, pretty cute. So I reckon koalas... So they have claws on them, like you don't actually yeah. carry them, do you? You can, yeah, you can. They won't, they won't sw- kind of swipe you. Um, but it's mainly so they can climb trees. Yeah, yeah. So it's more a, a functional claw rather than an aggressive claw, I guess. Okay. So are these koalas just roaming around the streets? I know this might sound stupid that I'm asking, but do you just see them out and about? Uh, not unless you're in like the bush. Okay. Um, so in the cities, you won't really see them unless you go to like a zoo. But yeah, normally in the bush or on like islands and places like that where there's there's less civilization, I guess. Kangaroos, okay. you might see, not again, not in the city, but if you go an hour and a half, a couple hours up or down the coast, you might see kangaroos kind of through golf courses and holiday parks and things like that. Um, but koalas are a little bit more in denser kind of bushland. So you won't tend to see them in the wild. Okay. Well, mm. last question before we actually get to you. If someone is to travel to Australia, what are three cities they should see? I'm from Sydney, so definitely Sydney. There's probably a little bit of bias there. Um, but <laughs> What's I think in the Sydney? Weather's a bit nicer. Uh, Sydney have, have beautiful beaches. So I, I live near Maroubra Beach, so I love going down to Maroubra. Uh, it's, it's a little bit rougher, that beach. So there's a little bit of swell. There's some waves there. 
Um, but there's some there's some nice flat beaches there, around, like around Yarra Bay or Little Bay as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Low Valley, you can snorkel and and Bondi. People people love Bondi, but there's too many people there for me. Um, but the city's beautiful. Like going to Darling Harbour, Circular Quay, seeing the Opera House, the Harbour Bridge. We have we have a really really nice harbour, and you can jump on a ferry from Circular Quay and and go across to Taronga Zoo, see some koalas. So that's that's a nice way to see see Sydney City as well. So definitely Sydney. I do like Melbourne as well. It is a little bit cooler uh, in winter, uh, but there's some nice cafes there. There's a nice little vibe down in Melbourne. Uh, lots of things to do. Probably better like nightlife, better party life there. Uh, and then I guess not a not a city, but a place where I like to go on holidays is is down the south coast to like Lake Conjola or Ulladulla, which is a little bit more relaxed and chilled out. So I am so fascinated because you are currently playing as a semi-professional soccer player for Sydney Olympic, and then you're also the PT for Sydney FC. How long have you been able to play soccer and be a PT? I mean, you get the best of both worlds. Yeah, I'm at Rockdale now, actually. So oh, you're at Rockdale? Yeah, I've been there for the last couple of years, but still the same, same league, same competition. Um, but a little bit closer to home. I guess I've I've always been a busy guy growing up. Uh, I always played sport my whole life, played multiple sports, uh, always had training after school. Uh, same thing with uni, um, training after uni. My weekends were always taken by sport on Saturday or Sunday or both. Um, so I've, I've, I've kind of grown up doing it. Um, and I'm used to it and I have a very understanding wife <laughs> um, yeah. and gives me the time to, to do what I want to do and, and what I'm passionate about. But I guess if you if you love what you do and you're passionate about it, then then you find time and you just make it work. So I'm able to to work in, in the clinic, in my own clinic, and which gives me the flexibility to obviously leave a little bit earlier if I have to go to training or start a little bit later if, if uh, the girls at Sydney have training in the morning. Okay. And then the soccer club, even though it is semi-professional, they're, they're really understanding as well and they're happy with me, you know, making the, the girls at Sydney my, my priority uh, yeah. in, in, in the off-season, I guess. And it, our seasons cross over a little bit and that's where they kind of let me miss a session here or there if I've got to be at their training or their game. Yeah, so so having people around you that are really understanding and surrounding yourself with with good people, um, and and also very understanding wife. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to hear about Sydney FC. So you started working with them in 2019. What even piqued your interest to work for a women's professional soccer team? Yeah, I think um, I think the the key there was I just wanted to get into like an elite sporting environment. So I didn't really have a preference either way, whether it was women's football or men's football. Uh, I guess fortunately for me and, and unfortunately for women's football in Australia, uh, at the elite level, it's a part-time environment. So okay. being being in that part-time environment still allowed me to continue to work full-time in the clinic um, and continue to play at a semi-professional level myself, whereas a men's role wouldn't have allowed me to do that, I guess. So I'd have to kind of quit my job or, or stop my business at, um, in the clinic and then go into to a men's kind of position. So definitely the flexibility around that couple of morning sessions, a couple of evening sessions, um, and then and then a game on the weekend. So it worked out really well with with my kind of personal life and, and my work life. So that's that's probably the main reason around it. I see. So you said compared to the men's, the women's, they are part time, but you yeah. still may be helping with training in the morning and the evening. Is that correct? 
Yeah, so it's on, it'll be on different days. So the, oh, the, okay. the men, for example, will train every day at like 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. And then you'd have to do like your treatment after, your rehab after. It's a, it's a full-time role. Um, whereas the women on, on Mondays and Tuesdays, like I'd get up at 4.30 in the morning. I'd, I'd be at training at 5.30. Um, for a 6.30 start and then uh, it'd be 6.30 till 8 a.m. or something like that um, a couple of days and then the, the girls uh, they also have to go to work because it's part-time so right. we do two morning sessions and then Thursday Friday we'll do two evening sessions where I kind of leave work at four get there at 4.30 and the girls start training at six and they finish around 7.30 eight o'clock so yeah when I say it's not the same day I guess yeah that makes more sense okay well what was the process like applying the the coach uh, of the team the women's team he he knew me through playing football um and he asked me to come on board uh, as well with the women and then I had to go through an interview process with the um the head of the medical department at, at Sydney FC so I just went through an interview with him he asked me a few questions um went through a couple of case studies or ethical dilemmas that you might face uh, and then, um, you know, offered me the job uh, a couple of days after that, uh, which was good. So, Yeah. Did you have any hesitation before accepting it? It sounds like you just wanted to be in a professional setting. Yeah, I, um, I, I didn't at the time. I, I love it. I love it. It's yeah. fantastic. Um, it's the, the girls at, at Sydney FC, um, you've got access to everything that you need in a professional environment, all the equipment, all the supplies. Um, yeah, the, the girls are extremely professional. They're a great bunch. I love working with them. Um, so it was a really, really easy decision to make. With a four-month-old baby now, it's it's getting a little bit harder. Um, so I would I would love to do it, but I've got some some tough decisions to make going into next season. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, your team finished in the top of their league, but you all did lose in the final. What was the most exciting aspect about this past season? Probably the set, the last game of the season uh, against Melbourne Victory. Um, so at, at that point in the season, we were second. And Brisbane, I think, were top of the table. Um, and Melbourne were third. And we had to play Melbourne in the last game. And whoever won that game uh, would finish top. So it was kind of almost like a grand final itself. If Melbourne beat us, they could jump us and Brisbane and go top of the table. Uh, and then if we won or drew, then we would finish on, on top of the table. Uh, and I think uh, T, the captain, scoring, she, she doesn't score very often, but her scoring a free kick uh, in, in that last round game to clinch, clinch the premiership was probably the most exciting exciting thing this season I think um for, for the team as a whole uh to win the premiership uh for the first time in a while but also for, for T herself the captain uh I think everyone was overjoyed and, and that was probably the highlight of the season yeah well paint a picture for me what that free kick looked like so I guess uh if if you're facing the goal it was on the left hand side just outside the the D I guess if you okay. like um, that's where Remy, the striker, got fouled. T stepped up to, to take the free kick. She'd been practicing them at training uh, and, and practicing them from that position. So we were quietly confident. And then uh, T hit it, hit it well, hit it just over the wall, away from the, the keeper, and, and the keeper couldn't get there, just went in the top corner. And yeah, she she enjoyed the celebration. <laughs> yeah, typically when you're in season, you wake up early, you you work with them, and then you go to your job 
your clinic? Yeah, so I'll I'll go to the clinic at around nine thirty. Um, oh. So I'll have my first patient nine thirty because uh, I've got to travel from from Macquarie where the girls train um, back to back to my clinic, uh, and I'll probably work from around nine thirty till six six thirty, uh, and then I'll head home after that. Um, or head to training if I if I have training. So Tuesday is probably my hardest day because Tuesday um, we train. Uh, so it's an early start and then I end up getting home at like 9.30 p.m. after training. And then what about the weekends? What are weekends like for you? Yeah, so when, when our season crosses over with the W League season, the girls, if the girls are playing on Sunday, then we might train on the Saturday morning. Uh, at, at Macquarie with the girls so uh, that'll be a morning session and then I'll, I'll have a game on the Saturday night uh, and then the girls will have their game on the Sunday uh, so I'm probably I'm probably away out, out from home around 8am and then I get back at like 12 12 30 and then I'm out again at, at four to go and play myself at seven uh, and then I get home at night. Quick question does your wife like soccer? Uh, she doesn't mind it. She probably doesn't like it as much now. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, too much soccer going on for one weekend. Yeah, it, it is a lot. But that's luckily, that's only probably for a couple of months of the year. Um, okay. So in kind of our season finishes in August, September, and the girls start in around October. They start preseason. And we might start pre-season in November. Um, so it crosses over around November, December, and then again in January, Feb for a little bit. Um, but then March through till September, like now that the girls are in their off-season and I'm just I'm just playing myself. So uh, okay. it's a little bit easier now. Well, when did you realise you wanted to become a physical therapist? Probably when I was like around 12 or 13 years old. I, I got Severs, Severs disease. Yeah. Uh, so and you know what, can you talk a little bit about that? What is that condition? So I guess Severs disease is, um, is a traction apophysitis. So it's a growth-related condition that you'll typically see in adolescents that have a, a relatively high workload, spend a lot of jumping um, or running sports. So in, in adolescence, they're obviously growing and, and the growth plate is cartilaginous and, and soft and the, re the repetitive traction or pulling of that Achilles tendon uh, on the growth plate causes it to get a little bit inflamed. It's typically a load-related condition. You can get it at the knee, you can get it at the hip. Um, they have different names. But yeah, I had, I had severs in the heel and that's when I kind of had my first experience with, with a physiotherapist. And, and then from there, obviously playing sport, ongoing injuries, ankle sprains, and just being in that environment and, and getting better and seeing how rewarding that would be to be on the other end of that and be able to help other people is kind of what, I guess, inspired me to become a, a physio. When you had severs, did you ever get to a point where you were symptom free or did you spend many years playing and just trying to manage it? No, I kind of, I, I had it as, as any kid would, I guess, for, you know, four weeks, six weeks before doing anything about it. So I kind of just copped it on the chin for a little while there um, and then got the appropriate advice from, from a physio, managed my load well, um, kind of put some heel wedges in my, in my shoes to offload my, my Achilles a little bit. Uh, and then within like six weeks or so, it started to resolve and, and I didn't have any issues after that. So I think it was managed pretty well. Okay.
Nice. So I am curious, what is the process like to become a physical therapist in Australia? Because it seems you can practice as a PT with your bachelor's. And here yes. in the States, we have to like go get our bachelor's, get our doctorate. It's just yep. a lot of money spent. Yeah. So I guess there, there are two different ways to become a physiotherapist. So I did the bachelor degree, which is an undergraduate degree. So um, straight from high school, uh, you do your your high school certificate, you get a particular mark. And then if you get a certain mark, you can go into your undergraduate degree. At the moment, to get into physio, it's really, really hard. So you need to get 99 out of 100 to go to uni um, and become a physio. So a lot of people that don't get that mark then do a Bachelor of Health Science or a Bachelor of Exercise and Sports Science or Exercise Physiology. Um, and then you can then finish that degree and go on to do a Master's of Physio. Um, which is an extra year. So the undergraduate degree is four years at uni, um, whereas the health science or the undergraduate degree is three years and then you do a two-year master's of physio to become a physiotherapist. Well, it sounds like you were smart enough to save money and do the quick route. That's, that's pretty impressive. What was the most challenging aspect about PT school for you? I would say it was the neural innovation of, of muscle tissue in anatomy. Um, and, and the anatomy uh, exams. So I think it's, it's, it's unlike any other exam you've done before. So it's, it's relatively new. Uh, I don't know what, what happens over in the States, but here the degree uh, for, for anatomy involves, I guess, or some assessments involve putting like little pins in cadavers, muscle tissue or in neural tissue. Mm -hmm. uh, and be simple questions. So it won't be like a pin in the VMO and say, what muscle is this? Or what does, you know, pin A innovate yeah. or something? Oh, and yeah. So, uh, they'll kind of they'll kind of try and trick you like that. And first, uh, anatomy exam was really difficult. Uh, but then the second one was a lot easier because I could prepare for it knowing kind right. of what to expect. Um, that was probably the most challenging thing. I, I think the workload was okay. The ability to balance like working part-time and, and going to, to uni was was okay as well. But definitely the, the anatomy exam, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. What about when it comes to neural innovation? Because you said that was challenging. Just remembering what nerves innovate which muscles. What helped you memorize that? Because there are some students here that are just trying to get bits of advice from people that have been there and done that. Uh, mind maps, probably. Uh, I just did a lot of mind maps, uh, a lot of revision, a lot of study, different colors and different colored pens. Uh, but I, I feel like if I write things down, then I take them in a little bit better. So I just I just did mind maps and, and um, just reviewed them regularly. What do you think is something that helped you find success in PT school? I think being passionate about it. I think if you're if you really enjoy something and you're passionate about it, uh, you'll put in that extra time and effort. And when you are attending lectures or tutes, you're actually taking that information in because you want to learn. Uh, I think that's the key. If you're passionate about anything, you'll be good at it, whether it's, you know, going going to physio or P P PT school or whether it's, you know, wanting to install an IKEA flat pack. Like, I think if you if you really enjoy physiotherapy and, um, and yeah, you're passionate about it, then that's what will help you achieve success. Cool. Now, as a clinic director, how do you like being able to split your time in really three different settings? Yeah, I love the flexibility of it. 
I think it's it's good having a partner. I've got a I've got a really really good business partner. So I, I started working under someone in a in a private practice and then met my business partner there. Uh, so we'd known each other for five or six years before starting our own clinic together. And um, and he's very understanding, very like very good physio um, and a very good person. So um, having someone that you can trust to be there when you're not there as well is is really really important. Um, so either a good partner or having good staff underneath you. Uh, but I really, really enjoy the flexibility of being able to take time off if I need to, um, if I if I want to go out for dinner on our anniversary or something like yeah. that, I can walk out in the afternoon. Even though you're probably playing, you're probably going to be playing a soccer match on your anniversary. Let's be honest. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but it's, it's my first Mother's Day on, on Sunday and I'm playing a soccer match. You see, I know. Yep, that's it. So is it just the two of you all in that cl- outpatient clinic? There, there are five physios. Oh, um, five physios, okay. Work, I guess with us. Um, okay. Yeah, so there's, there's two of us that, that manage it at the moment, but there are five of us, yeah. So we, we have, I guess, people there at different times and we're able to take time off here and there when necessary. And I, I know because I don't have a very good work-life balance, I try and make sure that, that my staff do. So we don't want to don't make them, yeah, so they get a good work-life balance. Okay. Well. Now, I am curious because there are some PTs that say a, a couple years in, you might start to feel a little burnt out, get in the rut. Like, you practice for six years. During those six years, did you ever feel like a little bored, like you needed something new? I never really, I never really felt like that, to be honest with you. I guess private practice is is really diverse so you're always seeing different things um and you're always having to clinically reason i might have a knee then a back then a shoulder then a foot then a back then a knee then a hip when i got up in the morning it wasn't like a drag going to work but again, i think that comes down to being passionate about what you do and and really enjoying it I, i know at uni they said the average physio lasts six years yeah, being able to break up the day with the sports physio as well with the girls is is good. For someone that wants to eventually become a clinic director, what tips can you provide when it comes to being able to manage other employees? Yeah, I, I think that's that's tricky. Uh when you're when you're interviewing people uh, or when we interview people, we don't really look for the best clinician. We we look for the best person, I guess. So um, you want to surround yourself with good people and and um, build a good environment in the clinic. Uh, I think that's really important because you can always kind of train a physiotherapist. We do weekly in services and tutorials and. Um, we want to be able to mold people to kind of treat in a similar way that that we do. Um, so I, I guess when you're interviewing people, looking looking for a good person rather than uh, a great physio, you can't really change a person, but you can make them a better physio. So that's that's what we do in our clinic, and I think that's that's what's key to to building a good environment and being able to manage staff well because you get staff in there that are good people. How could a clinician balance out maybe working for a professional team and being a clinic director? Again, um, getting getting people that you can trust uh, in that in that clinic when you're not there. So I can I can be a clinic director, kind of be with the girls at Sydney and know that the clinic's in safe hands. Know that there's you know someone there who's going to be able to manage it, and look after it. Um, and then if you don't if you don't want to do as much hands on stuff, uh, then you can do 
like full time with with that sporting team, and then you can do a couple of days uh, where you're just doing in services or mentoring and kind of going to your different clinics and and liaising with the staff, making sure they're okay, um, asking if they have any questions about any patients, doing little one things like that. I think that's probably my my long term goal at the moment. I'm still doing some hands on physio in the clinic. Um, but my long-term goal would probably be to get into that elite sporting environment in a more full-time capacity with with that other time that I have going in and mentoring staff on on the other days, but having good staff there that you can trust and rely on to to run the clinic when you're not there. Lastly, if there's a motto that you like to live by, what would that be? Don't stress. <laughs> I'm a very relaxed person. Uh, I, I'm never really stressed. Uh, so yeah, I don't stress, chill out, meditate. If you want to meditate, breathe, relax. Uh, I'm listening to a good book at the moment called Think Like a Monk, uh, by Jay Shetty. Uh, so if anyone wants to listen to that, if they're, if they're stressed out or if they, they feel they need, uh, they need some guidance as to how to kind of just slow down and, and relax. I think, yeah, that's really important, especially when you're in a fast paced environment and um, and there's a lot going on, just not letting it get to you and, and kind of relaxing. I like that. Don't stress, even though you, you work in a stressful environment day in and day out, but you mastered it. Well, Mitchell, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you, learn a little bit more about Australia and just to kind of how you do it all, play soccer, be a clinician, a clinic director. And again, thank you so much for your time and just all the insights that you provided. No worries. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And that was physical therapist Mitchell Stamatellis. And I'm Taiwo, your host on Medical Experts in Football. Did you enjoy? Rate and subscribe and tell me your thoughts.